Hey everybody, this is For the Record Podcast, episode number 114. Hope everyone's having a good week. We're going to get back next week to our regular schedule of Wednesdays and Fridays for doing episodes. We've got a lot coming up, which is really awesome. There's going to be a slight... uh, Slight is a good word for it because it doesn't affect what the show is, but there's going to be a change in something that I'm doing with the formatting of the podcast. There's still going to be long interviews. I'll explain more on it later in coming episodes. I want to like, I, I want to get some shows lined up first so that I can more, I can properly explain what I'm trying to do with it. But it's going to be for the benefit of everyone who listens to the show. Thank you if you are a continued listener. I appreciate it more than you could ever know. And um, I'm really excited for it. I think it's going to be a lot better in the long run for the way that we're going to do this. Um, so this episode is really cool. This, uh, I have not really ventured into the world of like funk rock and, uh, that, that kind of genre and that kind of world. But there was a band that was pitched to me called, uh, the big old nasty get down, which is a great name in and of itself. And this episode was with, uh, John Heinz, uh, the bassist who put together this just massive super group called the big old nasty get down. And they're promoting Volume 2, which is their second release thus far. And it's basically this collaboration with over that John put together, and he collaborated with over 50 different musicians. Like, I'm looking at the sheet here because I can't possibly remember every band name on this, but uh, there's people and musicians from, uh, God, in Living... uh, it's not the show. Uh, Living Color, Arrested Development, Earth, Wind, and Fire, um, James Brown's Band, uh, The Rolling Stones, Cool and the Gang, Mudvayne, uh, Parliament Funkadelic, Dunstafunk, Fishbone, uh, Primate. Like there's there's so many people that have that are a part of this and just have made this amazing amazing sounding record. That's uh, well, we talk a lot about it um, in this episode, but I'm I'm really excited for everyone to hear it. It's a new kind of genre that I've that I ventured into, and I I'm I while this show is based pretty well within the worlds of like rock music. Whenever there's a musician that's on the show, um, I don't. I, I want all kinds of genres that I can get on. I, I love exploring music. I, th- I feel like I've said that a lot before and I've explained it before, but um, even if it's mainly like if I bring on comedians or I bring on uh, uh, rock musicians and stuff, if someone gets pitched, I'm I'm totally down to hear their story because ever that's, that's what I love about doing this. Everyone has their own kind of story. And... Uh, John was a great guest. It was really great talking to him about how the project came together, how he was able to pull all these different musicians together and make something this colossal and crazy. Uh, Volume 2 is available now. Um, You can visit thebigoldnastygetdown.com for more information. Follow them on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Um, And without further ado, here is uh, John Heinz, episode 114 of For the Record Podcast. Enjoy.
the last few days before any of these things release. Oh yeah, because at the same time when you're getting when you're getting a release together, you always think that you it's you always think you have everything, and then you're kind of like, oh crap, we forgot to do that, or oh yeah, we needed to do this thing, and then you're always just kind of rushing to get it done. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> Um, well, I gotta say, I'm really excited to talk with you because of, um, I, I mean, I, I get pitches constantly, um, for different artists and I always get excited when there's something that's a little bit outside of the realm of the music that we usually cover, which is any, anything within like anything within alternative rock, but I am, I, I love covering a, a wide variety of artists and, um, just seeing that there was like a funk super group. Um, that looks awesome, sounds awesome. It it got me intrigued. I mean, uh, how how do you even? You've probably been asked this a bunch, but how do you even go about organizing something like this? Like, does it start with uh, the idea to just do a band, or did you want to do a supergroup in the first place? Or I guess I guess how did it how did it come to fruition? Well, there's there's a couple things that kind of sparked the idea to make it happen. Um, I had come out of the business world and into the music world kind of kind of late. Um, I came into the music world at 30 and um, experienced life on the road and kind of seeing how the working musician was existing and, and so on and so forth. And I realized that, you know, a lot of these amazing players when they would come off tour, they'd have to go back and start working regular jobs. And um, I thought that if there was a secondary outlet that, you know, could be a revolving cast and, you know, almost a faceless band to some degree, um, it, it could create, you know, a, a place for these musicians to keep, you know, working in, in the music world and keep creating without having to, you know, wait tables or, you know, go work construction or whatever. Um, yeah. You know, when they weren't, when they weren't touring. And it, it was also seemed like a, a good place to be able to shine light on a lot of the players that had shaped, you know, landscape of music over the last several decades that, you know, never necessarily got um, the credit that they deserved or, or the, yeah. Or the notice that, that you know, um, in my opinion, they should have had. And, and, you know, it created really, it was to be a platform where everybody's voice be heard and we create something new together where, you know, also the, the local, regional uh, talents that might not have the wherewithal to be able to get the exposure or, um, you know, some of the different elements that, are necessary and, you know, taking on the music industry, um, you know, it'd be a place for them also to come for resources and everybody's voice be heard and we create together. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, that was, that was a lot of the, the thought. It wasn't necessarily intended to be a super group. It was almost intended to be kind of like a, a hub to some degree for just players to come for resources and the, and the you know, and to create together. Um, and then ultimately, it, it, you know, through the law of attraction, I guess it it, it kind of did become a super group because we, when we went to take the band live for the first time, a lot of the players had um, 
you know, their own tour schedules going on. So we just called in a few more of our friends and, you know, went from 17 uh, to 30, like 35 people from 17 bands to, um, you know, about 60 people from 40 different bands by the time that first live show happened. And then, you know, just kept expanding and kept expanding. And, um, you know, there's a lot of people that myself, my, uh, my production partner, Frank Mapstone, really, you know, were heavily influenced by over the years that, you know, this has been an opportunity also to bring a lot of those people into the, the mix. So, it, you know, it just keeps growing and expanding and we keep meeting more and more amazing people along the way that, you know, seem to make sense to, to come into the project. Yeah, I mean, just one look at the list, whether, I mean, the email that I was sent over when I was told about the group was, I mean, in a sentence it says, Living Color, Earth, Wind, and Fire, James Brown, The Rolling Stones, like, uh, Parliament Funkadelic, like, all these very legendary artists, and, um, I mean, like, I think the one, one of the ones that even struck me out, uh, that struck me as, like, holy crap, was you, who in Mudvayne, uh, uh, did you have uh, join and come in? <laughs> yeah, that, I was like, whoa, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Ryan Martini, their bass player. Okay. Um, <laughs> he, he's such a monster on bass and and is so funky, too. He, If I'm not mistaken, he has a jazz background, too. He, he's just, he is just one of the most talented people I've ever worked with. Um, and, uh, yeah, having Ryan part of it was so cool. And, and it definitely threw people off when we were like, <laughs> giving the list. And it was like in Mudvayne, like Mudvayne, what? <laughs> and, but, but it all makes sense. You know, at the end of the day, it, it just, for some reason works with, you know, having people from so many different musical backgrounds coming together and just creating, you know, we, we don't have anything pre-rehearsed, anything um, pre-written when we go into these sessions. It's really just trusting in the talent of the room and letting it just be and evolve into what it's going to become and, and not putting any um, you know parameters on it, I suppose. You know, it's like it doesn't have to fit a certain sound. It just has to feel good when we're doing it. Definitely. I um, mean, um, when you when you're writing something like this, is it much more? So kind of how you were saying, you don't go in necessarily with any specific ideas. So are are all of the sessions really just jam sessions when you guys play together? Well, yeah, it, they they are, um, but everybody kind of knows going into it that the intention is to you know be able to create actual songs within those jams when we're doing it. So there's a mindfulness when it's happening to stop, you know, when we're, when we're going on something, say, okay, well, that's, that's the part there. Now, where do we go from here? And how many times are we going to do that? We can put a bridge and then, you know, that then makes up the instrumental bed. We kind of have a reverse process that we do. We, um, we really focus on the instrumental tracks first and then send them out to vocalists to write lyrics and, and sing on um, after those tracks are done. Um, you know, a lot of times songs are, are basically written around the, the lyric or around the, the vocal part. So it's, um, it's important that, you know, these songs be able to 
instrumentally stand on their own as its own piece and then you know the vocals you know create the whole the whole thing the whole end piece but um you know it's, it's definitely kind of a, a different different process yeah because usually you'll hear at, um, like 90 percent of people will always say um we'd start with the music first and then go to the lyrics and there's and then there was one band years ago that i'd heard uh, said I have to write the lyrics out first because I need to be totally comfortable and ready with what I'm going to say, and then I'll structure the music around it. And, and that always stuck out to me in a way that what it, it just, I mean, it's a, not only a bit of a different process, but it shows you that there's it's a different approach to uh, writing lyrics and how a song is constructed around the words rather than the other way around. Right, right. Yeah. Right. Um, um, oh, go go ahead. Oh no no go ahead. Um, I was just gonna say, um, how does a pro- how does the process w- with that process in mind? How does um, how is it rec- when you're recording something like Volume One or Volume Two when you go in and what? So once you guys get the song structured, I mean, how long does it take to, um, I guess, hammer out? Um, a collection of songs uh, that you can go, okay, this is a full LP. This is what we want to present to the world. Well, it takes a while because, you know, Frank and I are pretty, you know, we, we have a pretty solid vision of, of what we want vocally on the tracks and what we want so far as soloists on the tracks. So it can take a while for scheduling to work out and us to be able to to you know track down the contact info to be able to get a hold of you know the vocalists that we might be looking to have on the song so on and so forth so it 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 takes a while like the actual song the the instrumental tracks don't take long at all like we'll have days where we'll go into the studio and there might be 15 of us you know kind of rotating you know, from song to song, and and we can knock out, you know, five or six new instrumental beds in sixteen hours, and that you know that's a really fun process because it's just you know watching it completely evolve from from nothing, um, you know, into these these tracks that we're all really proud of at the end of the day. Um, so that that part's pretty quick, but then the you know, it can take. I mean, there there was a couple songs on Volume Two that took two and a half years to from the time that wow we got the instrumentals done to the time that we were able to get all the, the logistics worked out and get the the vocals cut. So you know, it varies. And then other songs like we're expecting it to take forever, and then you know, within days it's finished. You know, because somebody might have. Uh, all of a sudden, uh, a window of time they can go in and track it that they didn't think they had. So it's, it's kind of a crazy process trying to ever give anybody like a timeline of when something's going to be done because it's it's a mystery to us a lot of times too. For, I mean, that at the same time though, that keeps it interesting. It, I mean, you can you have to. I mean, you have to admit it. It would, it would never get boring at that point if it wasn't the um, with it being so different every time. Absolutely, yeah. That that really makes it 
um, an exciting process and fun process for us because it's always different. And it's, you know, a lot of the, the camaraderies, you know, a lot of the, the joy of it too, because you get to hear some amazing stories from these players that have been in the industry for, you know, decades. Oh yeah. And, you know, they, some that are just so incredibly influential and, and to hear, you know, straight from their mouth, these incredible things is just it's amazing but it's also really a fun process to watch um you know some of these living legends and the people that were influenced by them reverse roles like for example there's a um session in Asheville, north carolina we did with fred wesley from james brown uh james brown band uh, he's a trombone player yeah. and um Derek Johnson from your mama's big fat booty band um, <laughs> really, really looked up to Fred and was heavily influenced by him. So we, we had an opportunity for the two of them to track together on a couple songs. And the session started out with Derek, you know, asking Fred about like some of his iconic licks and, and, you know, just different elements that he had contributed throughout, you know, the last, 50 years of, of being in the music world and watch that go from that to Derek all of a sudden showing Fred his pedal board and Fred had never recorded or even played through pedals like distortion or reverbs or loopers and and so all of a sudden Derek's teaching Fred how this pedal board works and how <laughs> to try these different things and, and it was just so neat like seeing how everybody has so much to contribute to one another, no matter how long they've been actively involved in music. There's always something to learn from each other with it. Yeah, I, I mean, I can, I can only imagine being a fly in the wall in that kind of situation where you're just kind of like, wait, what? You're, you're teaching him? This is, oh, this is so crazy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, it's really, it's, it's incredible to watch. Yeah, uh, about how long given everything we've talked about with processes and how it, it really varies, would you say that was how, in your opinion, how does volume two differ in comparison to volume one in terms of songwriting structure in the way that the collective is maybe grown as musicians from the first release? Like what are some of the, I guess, what are some of the notable differences in the material that you would point out? Or if it's still, um, or if it's relatively similar, uh, what made you guys want to uh, stay consistent in that sense? Well, it's, okay, so with Volume 1, it was, it was we went in blind in a lot of ways. Because, you know, mm -hmm. the idea of a super group is not, it's been done a million times, but going in where you're just having a bunch of great players gather and, and, and write, you know, like I said, spontaneously on the spot, you know, is not really something that happened in, in a lot of ways. And so we didn't have a blueprint to go at all. It was just like, all right, let's see what happens. Hopefully this is not going to be a, you know, three-hour jam and we'll have some, like, you know, real songs that come out of this. And, and volume two, 
and, and and really with volume one those songs that that you hear on volume one that's all we had it was those songs that came out of the new orleans session and and uh the stuff we did at george clinton's studio and volume two you know we at least had had an experience previous to to kind of have an idea of what could go wrong what could go right what we you know what we can do to to make it a little bit less of a chaotic process and a little smoother but it's you know it's always been kind of controlled chaos to some degree because you've got you know 30 40 different people getting together and just going for it yeah <laughs> you know and it's and it's great because you know we've learned that creating the vibe really the most important thing um you can have you know one of the greatest players in the world but if it's not a good hang you're not going to really get a lot of great material but if you you know if you've got a bunch of people that are all vibing and and enjoying each other's company you're gonna you're gonna wind up with with music that reflects you know the the experience that the musicians are having and and hopefully the you know the fun from the session is kind of shining through on the material so you know with volume two having had volume one as a point of reference it, it did make it a little bit easier but it also made it where we could kind of even try to go a little bit bigger with it and bring in more people and 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 see you know where it went and, and what ultimately happened is we wound up with you know quite a bit of material that you know, some carry is carrying over to volume three and um and you know i had a little more ability to kind of create a playlist that we felt had a had a nice flow to it absolutely i mean that w were there any tracks at though when you were recording volume two that maybe you guys uh i'm always curious about how musicians will kind of overcome like not necessarily writer's block, but just different, like, conflicts in writing. Like, maybe this part isn't working as well, or you can't figure out a bridge. Like, were there any tracks on the second LP that you maybe struggled with a little bit more? And if so, how did you overcome that obstacle and, I guess, break through to get it where you wanted it to be? Well, let's see. Um... You know, I don't know if there were any tracks that were necessarily an obstacle. Um, there was... I mean, I... Yeah, it, every every one of them kind of kind of flowed and came together. But, I mean, with the writer's block, that happened a lot of times. Um, you know, our sessions are good because you're pulling from a lot of different... Um, different ideas coming from different different people so you know a lot of times that will spark ideas within one another that you know ultimately will make up the final the final song so i think having so many creative people in that space kind of pushing each other along helps overcome a lot of that and you know you when you just have really great um great talent to work with a lot of times the stuff's just right itself in a lot of ways because everybody's so on point with what they're bringing to the table 
That makes sense. I mean, I, I uh, completely forgot about when you're doing those, when you'd be doing those sessions, you have more than just a couple people in the studio. If you've got a full collective, then it's more like, a, no, let's try this. No, let's do this in here. And then everybody kind of feeding off of each other. I, I could understand how that works. Absolutely. Now, there is, I mean, for example, we, we do have like one song. You know, this song we sent out to multiple vocalists and for some reason it's a hard one for anyone to really wrap their head around because the structure of it is completely bizarre it's it almost <laughs> starts out with i don't know it almost starts out with a like a c-section and then goes back and forth between an a and a b and an a and a b but Everybody wants to write the A section on the C section at the very beginning of the song. Yeah. So then when it goes to time for like verse, chorus, verse, chorus, it's like there's there's nothing to say because it's already been said in the first <laughs> part. So so we're we're having a you know that that track that's one that we we've wrestled with a little bit where it's such a cool instrumental and it may just wind up being an instrumental at the end of the day, but but you know there's I think we've had three different vocalists take a stab at it and each time it's been like that's awesome but like it's it as a song it doesn't fully make sense because of the the way the instrumental bit structured and then the traditional vocal trying to be laid on top yeah oh that, that that's that's really interesting huh i want i mean the you the cool thing about the band that you guys have is that it, like like you said, it could just end up being instrumental, but it could, I mean, it could go a number of ways with just hearing the way that you talk about it, which I think allows for a lot of, I think that makes you guys unique from other bands out there where you can go, eh, it can, it can go this way or that, but it'll still sound the way that we want, we want it to, rather than having it, when, when you're in a set, like, just like a straight rock band, it's kind of like, okay, it has to have this structure to it and it has to go this way. And if we do anything else, it'll alienate the fan base or it'll do this or that. So it just, it feels, it's just cool to hear about this because it's, it's just a gigantic collective of musicians just kind of getting in a room and just making, making stuff. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. It's you know, we've got the uh, the '96 box of colors and the Crayolas, and we're just, you know, <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah, it's perfect. Um, to wrap this up and and kind of bring this to a close, I, I guess what do you? There are two questions that I kind of asked to wrap things up. One is a little bit more specific, one's broader. But the first one is, what do you hope that? Uh, what do you hope that people take away from uh, the Big Ol' Nasty Get Down when they're listening to, whether they're listening to your music, whether they're seeing you live, what do you hope fans and listeners get out of uh, your band? I mean, I, I hope they, they, they are able to um, experience the joy and the, the love that went into the tracks by all the players that are involved. Uh, you know, from track to track was so different so not not everyone's going to necessarily you know strike somebody's um taste you know from one to the next yeah but you know i feel like there's, there's kind of something for everybody because there is again you know so many different musical 
backgrounds that everybody's coming from that are all important, you know, whether it's, you know, somebody's coming from a bluegrass background or a hip hop background. It's, it's all important in the whole overall grand picture of, of music in general. So, you know, there's, um, there's just a lot of honesty and integrity that's going into those tracks. And there's, it's, you know, a lot of first instinct in there. Um, we don't try to overproduce any of the tracks. It's, you know, a lot of times the first or second take. So it's, you know, it's real, it's musicians just being musicians and having, having a lot of fun doing it. Um, which hopefully translates into, into the, the song and the end result. Perfect. And uh, lastly, and this is the very broad question, but um, what does music mean to you? What would you say music means to you? Uh, music is the life source. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's, it's um, I think it's the only thing right now that's you know, truly, I mean, it's been said so many times that it's the universal voice, but it, it really is. It's universal language. Um, and it's, it's the one thing that I think people can really turn to to escape some of the bullshit that we're having to deal with right now in the world. And it's, uh, it's the ultimate escape. So it's, I don't know. It's, it's an important thing for me. It saved my life. Um, literally. So, you know, it's given me a lot of, uh, yeah, a lot of life force over the years. That was beautifully said. That was a perfect way to wrap this up. And, uh, lastly, before we go, um, where can people find uh, where can people find the music for the band? Where can they go and download Volume Two? Where can they go and purchase it? Um, any links that you want to plug? Um, go for it. Sure. Um, so let's see. The uh, Volume Two is available on uh, iTunes, Amazon, uh, and pretty much all the the digital download sites that are out there. Um, we also have CDs and vinyl available on uh, on our website, uh, com, And, uh, of course, go on and like our Facebook page. And, yeah, that's, uh, that's how you can get that. Awesome. Hey, John, it was such a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you again for um, taking the time to do this and I'll, I should hopefully get this posted within the next week or so and I'll have it up and, uh, sent over when it's, uh, all ready to share. Sounds great. I really appreciate it. No worries. Thank you very much, man. Take care. You too. Bye-bye.